Welcome to Driving Forces, your weekly show on politics and policy. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and each week, my co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, and I focus on the big issues in city, state, and national politics that matter to you. And today, we have a great show lined up for you with a focus on education. Celeste, how are you doing today? Doing good, doing good. Looking forward to hearing about how the first day of school went. I always remember that was a big day for me, getting ready. I think the getting ready part was super exciting, like getting the notebooks and the pencils and the folders and organizing everything and, and you know, trying not to hurt myself by carrying a ridiculously heavy bag, which I always did, Jeff. And those giant binders with all the separators. I used to love putting in, you know, I'm the same way. I remember my giant blue binder that I had to carry everywhere. I mean, it, the first day of school was always a big deal for me. It's not like, and you and I have discussed this, it's not like uh, we were crushed that summer was over. There was this excitement about also seeing all of our friends once again. And for a lot of kids in the system this year, this may be the first time in quite some time they've been able to see their friends. Yeah, this is going to be a really big test. And interestingly enough, as I think you pointed out before, you know, this is going to be, I think, the first full school year under Mayor Adams, uh, the new school's chancellor. So that's going to be a big difference. But yeah, we've definitely seen uh, some points of concern. And uh, I know you've been looking at this, Jeff, you know, some changes, some some worrisome changes in test scores and how kids have been doing uh, compared to sort of uh, pre-pandemic times. And, you know, uh, people did the best they could, I think, uh, during times when schools were closed or when there were a lot of restrictions in place. But this is going to be a very, very big test, forgive the pun, uh, a very big test of the school system to see how kids are doing uh, this school year back in person. And in fact, on Sunday of this week, when I was hosting City Watched, I, I had talked with Rita Joseph. She's the New York City Council member who chairs the Education Committee. And we talked a little about the challenges beyond the academics. There is the social, there's wellness, there's mental health. Mental health is a big consideration as educators head back to school, as parents have their kids go off to school now, that uh, there have been a lot of studies about um, how disconnected youth have been and increases in mental health challenges that they've faced over the last two and a half years, Celeste. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the idea that uh, kids have to come back into this environment after a couple of years that were really, really unusual, just really not the way kids were set up to learn, being isolated, uh, trying to essentially run their own education, maybe in a case where a uh, parent or parents weren't around to supervise them, essentially being responsible for themselves, even quite young children having to uh, just go without that sort of not just the in-person benefits of learning, but the social component, being around other kids. And I know that for some kids, it was just really hard uh, coming back after the restrictions, being around other kids, uh, adhering to a schedule, uh, you know, just just the, the everyday things that you and I didn't think about when we were growing up, you know, really radically different from some of these kids and having adjusted to that now going back to the way things used to be, Jeff. Yeah, it's, it's been unbelievable. And, you know, even over the summer, 
you know, there's been so much happening with our school system issues, such as uh, the big debate. And we're going to talk about this with both of our guests today, the big debate over budget cuts that council members claimed that they were not fully aware of the extent of those cuts when they approved the budget back in June, but also the safety of schools. This is something that schools chancellor David Banks has talked about in the last 24 hours. He's talked about a number of measures the system has taken to ensure the safety of, of teachers and, and and students and, and administrators in our schools. Um, there's been teacher shortages across the country as well. So we're going to just move right on and get to our first guest, who is an expert on all of this. I'm going to set the bar very high for her. She's been with us before. I'm talking about Amy Zimmer, who is the bureau chief for Chalkbeat New York. She is an award-winning journalist, and she's previously covered education for the New York news site, which I miss a lot, DNA Info. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Metro, and City Limits, among a number of other outlets. She's also the author of a book. I want to just give this plug. It's called Meet Miss Subways, focused on one of the nation's first integrated beauty contests. And she also has led content strategy at the tech startup Localize. Dot city. Amy Zimmer, welcome back to Driving Forces. Thank you so much for having me. So let us start off with the question. The, you know, you follow this. You've got a team of reporters covering the opening of school. How did things go so far today? What have you heard? It sounds like things have gone fairly well. It sounds like things went pretty smoothly, unless I would say if, if, if you have a child who takes a yellow school bus, um, you know, that is a unfortunately a yearly tradition that school buses uh, don't show up on time or at all on the first day. And unfortunately, that happened again a lot with with kids. And that affects a lot of students with disabilities, students who live in shelters. So, so that is unfortunate. But otherwise, things seem to go well as far as we know. You know, it was the first year in a while that principals didn't have to spend time redesigning their spaces to keep kids socially distant and do other COVID mitigations. Um, so that was a relief, I'm sure, to many principals. But at the same time, the budget cuts likely hang over a lot of schools, right? You know, we've been hearing all summer long about schools. And Amy, and thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate uh, having you back. Uh, we are going to get to the budget stuff, but I just want to stay on this idea for one second. You you know, you talked about having to reconfigure classrooms and, and public spaces uh, for uh, distancing and for all these COVID precautions. You know, how would you say how normal was it today relative to to sort of life? What was life like during the pandemic? Right. And I mean, and, and normal, what does that mean? Right. Because I think even right. pre-pandemic, there was always a range <laughs> and um well, I mean, are we of- are we seeing uh, classes looking bigger, smaller, kids being able to move around or gather or have lunch in a different way than maybe they've had in the past couple of years? Things, things you know, like that. Yeah, that's all back to the way it was, right, in terms of kids can move around, they can sit at, at desks with each other, there's no masking that's mandated. There are some people who are still concerned, some staff and students who are still concerned, and they are continuing to wear masks, but there are no mandates anymore. That ended at the end of last year. And so, yeah, kids can move freely. They don't have to sit. You know, last year at the beginning of the year, kids couldn't face each other at lunchtime. At a lot of schools, I know in elementary schools, they would have kids watching movies during lunchtime so they wouldn't talk to each other. Kind of dystopian. Um, But, yeah, so that's 
that's all that's all gone. There are very few COVID mitigations now. Uh, the on-site PCR testing, that is gone. There will be the at-home rapid kits if someone has a COVID case in the class. Uh, but really, you know, there aren't a lot of mitigations. They're requiring vaccinations for staff again and for adults who enter the schools and for kids who participate in extracurriculars. But really, other than that, things are pretty different, or rather, they are what they were pre-pandemic. So one of the things I've been following, and you posted it earlier this morning at around 6 o'clock on the uh, on your Chalkbeat New York website, was you were putting it out to parents, teachers, educators, people, let, weigh in, let us know what you're watching this year. What are your concerns? I'd love for you to talk a little about the feedback you've gotten. What, was the, what were some of the common threads that people mentioned uh, that they're looking at this year? And that, and that, of course, that Chalkbeat will be then following as well. Right. So, I mean, one thing that was interesting to see, though, in terms of what people were excited about, they're really excited to go on trips again. Um, they're excited to go out in the world. And, and it, that's interesting to hear. I know that the chancellor, David Banks, often talks about, you know, the school about classrooms and taking advantage of cultural institutions. So it was interesting to see that a lot of people were interested in, in, in doing that again, getting out. But people had a lot of concerns, especially around the budget cuts. They were concerned about class size. They were concerned about losing art and music and enrichment because of some cuts and having to let go of, of staffers. So, you know, that's obviously something we're going to. And do we still have you, Annie? You're, you were just cutting out a bit. Oh, oh, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yep. We can yes. hear you now. Okay. Um, people are also excited about changes coming to literacy instruction, how to teach kids to read. And, you know, this morning, the mayor and chancellor were at a school where they are implementing a new program for children with real reading struggles who have dyslexia and other print-based challenges. So that's something that the administration is really focusing on, and we'll be watching a lot this year as well in terms of what is going to be changing with phonics, because that's going to be required in elementary schools now. So we'll see how that goes. It takes time, though. You know, these things take time. It takes time when you change a curriculum. It takes time to train the teachers. So, it's, you know, there's not a quick fix, really. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Amy Zimmer, who covers education for Chalkbeat New York. And Amy, I want to ask you, since you mentioned about uh, struggles with reading, uh, you know, Maybe you can talk a little bit about what does the the playing field look like in terms of um, the ground that kids may have lost in the past few years, uh, looking at the National Assessment of Education Progress Report, um, math scores, reading scores down. And I think Chalkbeat has said that this basically wiped out something like 20 years of progress. What are we looking at? And then maybe uh, what are some of the things that are being done to address these, uh, you know, these falls uh, in, in yeah. reading and math scores? Yeah, so it's, it's really troubling to see that data, right? And that data, those were national numbers looking at nine-year-olds. We don't yet have the New York City specific numbers. I believe we will get those in October. We also don't have the state data, the test scores for reading and math for third through eighth graders, even though parents and families have that data. Uh, usually they 
to share that in, in August, uh, but they didn't this year yet. So we'll see what that does. Um, oh, because it is, was because it was bad or for some other reason? I, I, we don't know. <laughs> huh. We we don't know, but they haven't yet shared that data with us. So we're anticipating that those scores as well will probably, you know, be um, be somewhat troubling as well. So we'll see. In terms of what's being done, um, you know, I, I will be curious to hear what the chancellor says because it doesn't feel like the mayor and the chancellor have outlined a, a sort of overarching strategy to address the academic issues, right? They often talk about the literacy changes, which are important, but, you know, those are going to take time and they're more focused on the early grades uh, for the curriculum changes, just K to two. There are kids, you know, who are in third grade now who basically have had their entire elementary school disrupted. So like what happens in third grade and in middle school and in high school to all those kids who've lost so much. So we'll see, you know, a lot of people talk about the benefits of high dosage tutoring as something that is really helpful for kids. The stimulus money can be used for that. I haven't heard from the city yet in terms of whether there's like a big program. I know that CUNY has a, a big high dosage tutoring working in public schools. So We'll see if there's more of that. Again, uh, the U.S. Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, said, you know, high dosage tutoring, quality after school programs and hiring more teachers are the things that schools should be using the stimulus money for. And, you know, in terms of hiring more teachers, we're in a place where a bunch of schools have just had to let go of teachers. And just just a quick clarification before I let Jeff jump in here. High dosage tutoring, is that what it sounds like? Just lots and lots of sessions or is it, what does that mean? That, yeah, exactly. It means like, so at least three times a week uh, of, of tutoring, of one-on-one or small group tutoring. Yeah, it means uh, several times a week. Um, so not just like, you know, once for half an hour a week, but, but actually High, like a higher dosage, so exactly that, yeah. And Amy, you mentioned the stimulus funds, and now please correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to think that council members, when they've been campaigning for a restoration of funds uh, back into the uh, Department of Ed's budget, uh, that they, if I'm correct, they've suggested using some of the stimulus funds, uh, uh, you know, that the city uh, is resisting uh, placing in there. I'd love for you, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd love for you to give our listeners an update on where this budget fight stands right now, because I know the council just had a meeting earlier this week and passed a resolution on this. But where do things stand? And as it stands now, are these cuts already being implemented where parents and teachers and students are going to be witnessing them already in the schools? Or are they kind of held off now until this budget squabble is resolved? So all great questions. It is so confusing. And it's been like all this whiplash this summer, right? Because the budget was cut. The budget cuts went into effect July 1. And so schools already let go of, of staffers. Um, and then the lawsuit, there was a lawsuit filed over the process, not the cuts themselves, but the process. And the lower court said, okay, the city has to go back to the drawing board and then the city appealed and, you know, things are on hold right now as that court case goes through the system. And I believe September 29th, they'll be back in court on that. So the cuts went through. It's possible that the city will redo the budget. I mean, we'll see what happens with the appeals court. 
if that happens and they redo the budget and schools end up getting more money, which schools definitely want, uh, but it will be hard for them to hire, you know, hire more teachers and redo their classes, right? They've already started the year. They've already made their, their classes and their sections and all that. So if schools do get money later on in the year, it might be tricky, and they definitely want money, but it still might be tricky then figure out how to use it and how to hire people because usually that needs to happen before the school year starts. So, Amy Zimmer covers, uh, covers education for Chalkbeat New York. Amy, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to ask. Yeah. You know, maybe you can give people who who aren't as familiar with, we hear budget cuts or we hear slashed spending and we hear things like that. But maybe you can give us an idea of what would that actually mean in practice? Would that be like more kids in a classroom, fewer teachers, uh, extracurriculars? What would people be missing out on? What would kids be missing out on if all these cuts went into effect? Yeah, and that it might look different at different schools. So we talked with someone who... uh, She's a science teacher at, a, at an elementary school, so that meant she had, you know, all different kids would come in and do science with her. Because of the budget cut, she then had to move into a second-grade class as a second-grade teacher, which means that school would no longer have a teacher dedicated just to science, right? So, you know, because of all the musical chairs that all the, the teachers are you know, moving from one school to another. Um, so that's that. So there is another school, uh, one of my colleagues, Rima I mean, she went to today. They lost about 20% of their budget. And so, yeah, they had to expand classes on some grades. And also they couldn't promise enrichment and some after-school programs for families. So things are really in limbo, um, you know, so it's not just the classrooms, but other things like enrichment. And it, it can be really hard so you know i think it looks different at different schools but a lot of what we've been hearing are we've been hearing that there are a lot of larger classes you know at a time yeah say the other thing that's on the horizon and you point this out in your story too is the also the uncertainty of what's going to happen with that state legislation that governor kathy hochel hasn't signed yet uh, but signaled support for that could over time alter or put caps on uh, on a number of classes, Amy. Exactly. I was yeah. I was just going to say this is at a time where you know the state is trying to force the city into reducing class size. Again, it will be over time, and there will be a lot of exceptions to that rule. So when it all shakes out, you know, it'll be interesting to see what what happens. I mean, it's also interesting. Like the backdrop here is is declining enrollment, right? I mean, that's why the budget cuts were made in the first place because budget is tied to enrollment and there are fewer kids in public schools now, right? Like we lost almost 10% over the past couple of years and another 30,000 kids are expected to not be on the city's registers this year. So, and, you know, you might think, oh, well, does that mean that there will be smaller classes? But actually, no, because then you lose teachers and then, you know, you have to expand classes and, and so there, there might be higher to teacher ratios when that happens. You know, one of the things you mentioned earlier, and it, it struck a chord with me because I've been hearing this from some of the cultural institutions I work with, is uh, the interest in school trips, the desire for school trips. And that's what they're telling me is that 
not so much in September, but I think they said in October, that's when it's going to pick up considerably. They're starting to get those requests already. It's so interesting because we're thinking of going back to school, being in the classroom and, and not necessarily thinking of that component, but that really helps students in the city to get out and see our cultural institutions and see other places. Is this something you are hearing, uh, you know, from teachers as well, not just maybe from parents or students, but about the interest in not just being in the classroom again, but being out there doing these trips? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and there's so much, you know, people, teachers talk about joy, right? Joy and learning. And oftentimes those trips bring that joy. And um, so a lot of, a lot of educators are also really, really excited to get back out there and expand their students' horizons, you know. So, yeah, definitely hearing that. So, Amy, I know you've written about this for Chalkbeat, but, you know, give people an idea of what other things are you looking for as, uh, you know, we get into the the second or third day or week, uh, but also maybe a month from now into this school year. What what are you sort of uh, monitoring to see how well things are going or how badly? Yeah, I mean, we're looking at attendance. Who is showing up, right? As last year, there were a lot of problems with chronic absenteeism. There were just a lot of kids who didn't show up for a variety of reasons. I mean, it might have been COVID-related, right? There were people who, you know, had COVID and might have had to quarantine, and that's still going to be happening. But the at the start of last year, the quarantines were longer. They were 10 days now. Um, you know, folks can return after five days. Um, but also, you know, Older kids may have gotten jobs and just left the school system because of that. And a lot of there's a lot of financial insecurity right now. And some young people are supporting their families. So, we you know, we're looking at that. There are a lot of mental health issues, as you mentioned earlier. And I, I talked to families last year about this phenomenon called school refusal when, you know, it's an extreme aversion to going to school. Uh, you know, usually it has to do with social anxiety or other kinds of anxiety that really can be crippling to kids. And um, it also is more pronounced, you know, when you when you're home for longer periods of time, it, you know, the anxiety goes away. And so it's harder than to get back into the classroom. And so, you know, anecdotally, we heard that there were a lot more kids who were experiencing that. So. That's something we're going to be looking at. And just me- mental health in general, what the infrastructure will look like and, and the system. The city is promising, again, that there will be a social worker in every school or a school that has a school-based health clinic. Uh, but, you know, it's never enough, educators tell us. Like, it's just too much for the counselors and social workers to handle Um You know, last year we saw, like, low stamina, trouble focusing, kids just, like, on their cell phones in class watching TV shows or watching TikTok videos. There were just a lot of behavior issues like that, and we're going to see if that's happening again or if kids feel more adjusted. We'll see, you know. I mean, you know, people talk about the pandemic, but it's also the technology has changed so much, and kids are really glued to their phones now in ways that are, you know, I just think schools haven't seen before. And I just wanted to ask you real quickly, and I'll ask this of the uh, the chancellor as well when we uh, have a chance, but I'm just curious, has there been any mention 
of um, contingency plans. You know, heaven forbid this happens, but we see a really huge spike in uh, Omicron cases or we see a new variant that is sort of knocking people down and putting them under the weather. Has there been any discussion of the possibility of a return to remote learning under those circumstances or is that just completely off the table or what's happening? The city has not shared any of that information. So, you know, I mean, on snow days, for instance, the schools will go to remote learning or any inclement weather. So, you know, there might be contingency plans. And it's also interesting, you know, this administration is um, is supportive of remote learning in many ways. Right. This year, we're seeing the first two schools, uh, virtual schools opened. They just opened for ninth graders. But um, but they have been really promoting uh, virtual learning in some ways and think that it can work for some students, especially kids who have non-traditional schedules. So we'll see. Excellent. So Amy Zimmer, if people want to find out more about you and your work for Chalkbeat New York, where can we send them? We we can go to ny.chalkbeat.org. Perfect. Amy Zimmer, thanks so much for being here with us today on Driving Forces. Happy first day of school. Thank you. So, uh, Celeste, you know, as she's speaking, I'm also thinking of what it was like when I was uh, a reporter um, at the news or post and covering that first day of school. I mean, back then, um, uh, one of the biggest issues, it was overcrowding. It was kids learning in trailers. I'm, I'm sure you remember that as well. I sure do. Yeah, I covered I covered uh, public schools uh, for not that long, but uh, for the New York Daily News. And um, yeah, overcrowding uh, these packed classrooms, kids just not having uh, the attention that they needed. Teachers being spread too thin. Always a big issue, Jeff. And the other thing that we dealt with so much back then, uh, folks, was all the friction. I mean, I'm remembering this clearly, not just because of a book I'm reading that I'll, I'll mention later on, but all the infighting, all the fighting between the chancellor and the mayor, you know, Giuliani versus Ray Cortinas, Giuliani versus uh, uh, Rudy Crew. I mean, this is before, um, you know, before structural changes and the uh, Board of Ed becoming the Department of Ed and everything. But that cu- that took a lot of our time up and it distracted from, you know, curriculum and, and, and stuff we should have been focused on. It was all about the fighting, Celeste. Yeah, I definitely remember spending quite a bit of time covering uh, the UFT, you know, the contract negotiations between the city and the teachers union, um, and there being just a lot of divisive rhetoric there, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of a lot of bad blood. And, and I think you're right, Jeff, people have to cover that. People have to pay attention to how those things shake out. But, you know, Ultimately, this is about kids getting an education, kids having a safe place to be and getting a good education and getting not only the the sort of book learning, so to speak, but the social interaction, healthy social interaction, being around other kids, learning how to function in that kind of environment. Definitely a very big deal. So we're going to take a short break in just a moment. And when we come back, Celeste and I do want to tell you about why we need your support, because I think it's very important for you to know that we are supported by you, our listeners, not by corporate America, not by Apple or Coca-Cola or Microsoft or anyone. Uh, so we're going to give you a number. So get a pen and paper ready. We're going to give you a number uh, to call, or uh, you can even go to our website. But we're going to take a few moments, just take a, a short break. And when we come back, we are going to be joined by David Banks, the Chancellor of the New York City School System. 
So we'll, we'll be right back. Reggie, you can play that song. We're running with the shadows of the night. So baby, take my hand, it'll be all right. Surrender all your dreams to me tonight. They'll come true in the
the one and only Pat Benatar here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. We are talking about the first day of school. What is up with our kids? What is up with the schools? What is up with the budget? Always a big question. You can give us a call later on the program. Just take down the number for a moment. We are going to have a very important guest right before that, but then we will be taking your calls. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. Hang on to that because, as I said, we are very lucky, and you can thank Jeff Simmons for this, uh, very lucky to be joined with uh, with a really important guest that I know that you will all be anxious to hear about, um, or from, I should say. And, of course, that's going to be our school's chancellor, David Banks. Right, Jeff? That is correct. And interesting, before we get to him, and I know we're going to be reaching out to his person to have him on the phone in just a few moments, we do want to take a moment and remind you that we know times are tough. We know that inflation is just killing a lot of us right now. We've had to cut back on things and you, you might be looking to figure out where, you know, you can cut back, but it's just as important for us to be able to make sure that WBAI stays on the air. And if it means, means something to you, as it does to Celeste and me and to Reggie and to anyone who's part of the BAI family, we're asking if you could just step up and show us some love and show some support for the station. You can always do it in the name of this show or any show that means something to you. And I know I might sound like a broken record, but it's important to Celeste and me and to everyone here at BAI that we encourage you, our dedicated or even our new listeners, to give Give what you can. Every bit counts. So let me give you that website and that phone number. It's give to, that's the number two, WBAI.org. Give to WBAI.org. Or, and this is the number to call to donate, not the number to call if you want to be on the show later on. The number to donate is 212-209-2950. Again, that's 212-209-2950. I want to thank you, of course, for supporting WBAI in uh, many ways, being a BAI buddy, supporting the Tower Fund, uh, even making a donation uh, in, in any one of these ways. But we are focusing today on the new school gear. Uh, we thank you for your support so we can help keep bringing you these important discussions with these important guests. You may have caught a guest column in the Daily News by the school's chancellor, David Banks, and he talked about how this school year would be different than any other, talked about some of his priorities literacy, which he called the building block of all learning. And he also mapped out what needs to take place outside of the classroom. Uh, as you know, David Banks has been the chancellor of the New York City Department of Education since January of this year. So this is his full first uh first full academic year at the helm of the nation's largest public school system. Uh, Chancellor Banks is the former president and CEO of the Eagle Academy Foundation and founding principal of the Eagle Academy for Young Men, which is the first school and network of all boys public schools in the city and in Newark. He is a graduate of city public schools. He went to PS 161 in Brooklyn and Hillcrest High School in Queens. Uh, he also worked as a school safety officer. Then he began his first teaching job at PS 161 in his childhood neighborhood on Eastern Parkway. From there, he went on to become founding principal at the Bronx School for Law, Government, and Justice, later at Eagle Academy. And he's going to be joining us right now. We've had him on the program before, uh, shortly after he started his job as chancellor, and we're happy to have him here again today to talk about this big first day of school. Chancellor David Banks, welcome back to WBAI and to Driving Forces. 
Good, good evening, uh, Celeste and Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. So uh, I'll start with the uh, the small question, big uh, big issue. How did it go? <laughs> you know what? It was a wonderful and amazing opening school day. I've I've went to three different boroughs, visited three different schools, had a great start to the year personally. But all the reports that I got from around the entire city were that we got off to an extremely smooth start. Uh, no major issues, no major problems. Beautiful weather. You couldn't have asked for a better day uh, for kids to return to school. So uh, it was it was just a great way to kick off the school year. So what were you looking for, Chancellor? Were there any things that you sort of had your uh, uh, your antenna up for things that might be uh, not going well? It could be school busing. It could be attendance. What What did you really have your eye out for today? You know, as a chancellor leading the largest school system in the nation, you have to keep your eyes out uh, and open, really, for many issues. Historically, we've always had bus issues. We continue to have some shortages with drivers. I kicked off my day at 6 o'clock this morning at one of the bus depots and thanking so many of the drivers who get out there and, and get our kids to school every day. Um, and, but yet, you know, everything that we've heard and all the reports I've gotten is that things were extremely smooth. Um, you know, it, it, the first day of school is always a day filled with anxiety from young people. It's always a day filled with anxiety for uh, from adults as well. But it was a very, very good start. Um, and I just keep my eyes open to, to, to every issue, um, but, but feeling really good about the way we got started. You know, it's so interesting, Chancellor, and thank you for joining us again today, that I was in a coffee shop early this morning before school would have started right nearby, and it was so interesting and actually inspiring as I watched all the kids coming in and hugging each other as if they had not seen each other in a, in a long, you know, a long period of time. And it just kind of took me back to why I always like the first day of school. Yeah, there's anxiety, but there's also, you know, anticipation of, of what's new. As students step into school this year, what's the new normal? What is it going to be like for them that, 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 you know, that might not have happened before? Well, the theme that I'm working from uh, this year, Jeff, is what we call bright starts and bold futures. Uh, We are fundamentally changing the very approach that we have taken to the teaching of reading in our schools. Um, Over the last 25 years, the approach to teaching and reading was called balanced literacy. And uh, and the, the results are in, and I don't think that balanced literacy has worked for the majority of our students, particularly students of color, who've fallen way behind, uh, we have to ensure that every child that comes through our doors in the New York City public schools learns to read by the third grade. Because after the third grade is where you, uh, you, you read to learn. And so if, if they've not gotten the basic fundamentals down by third grade, it's an uphill battle after that. So that, that is one of the major pillars that we're focusing on. And the second thing really is about career pathways, career-connected learning. Why do we go to school in the first place? What do we ultimately want our young people to be able to to do. And uh, we want them to be able to graduate on a pathway to rewarding careers, uh, working toward long-term economic prosperity, and equipped to be a force for social change. Those are the things that we want from our young people. In order for us to do that, we've got to give them the uh, the, the skills and the tools and the, the level of exposure to the real world. The 21st century economy presents tremendous opportunity for all of our students. And we've got to do a much better job, and we are in this administration, on giving those kids a real, a real look-see into what 
what the what the real world of work actually looks like. And we want to connect that to what we're doing in our schools. We're speaking to David Banks. He is the chancellor of the New York City public school system. This is Driving Forces on WBAI. Chancellor, we were talking a little bit earlier about how some of the national test scores that we've seen out there have been pretty disappointing, uh, you know, maybe related to the pandemic, to a lot of the disruption that kids have experienced and parents and uh, instructors, of course, have experienced in the last few years. Uh, we're also trying to get kids back into a school year with uh, you know, good mental health support and, uh, you know, back into the, the social scene with good mental health support and so on. It's a lot of things to deal with at once. Are you concerned about uh, test scores that may be forthcoming uh, for New York City public schools and having to deal with uh, trying to reverse some of the progress that was, you know, that was lost? Listen, our students in New York City um, suffered greatly during the, during the pandemic. And we're still making our way uh, kind of out of that, that black hole, if you will. But that's not just the kids in New York. Those are the kids all across America. Um, many of them have suffered a form of learning loss, uh, if you will. So we've got our work cut out for us. We, and we, we're, not, we're not running away from that. We're dealing with that head on. Uh, our kids have suffered tremendous amounts of social, emotional uh, challenge that has to be addressed. And those are the things that we are, in fact, addressing. The physical and emotional safety of our kids comes first before we even discuss anything about test scores. We've got to make sure that they are healthy, uh, mentally healthy, physically healthy. Um, and so we put a number of things in place. We're encouraging all of our schools to, to take advantage of the great outdoors, get kids outside of the four walls of the schools. As I was driving around the city, it was so exciting just to see the kids out in the, in the playground of their schools running and playing, and as you said, hugging each other and happy to see each other. Um, that's really important. We're also engaged in uh, mindfulness practices all across the city, giving our kids a chance to learn the skills of how to center themselves in the face of trauma. Because for many of our kids, the pandemic was not the face, first time that they faced trauma, and it certainly won't be the last. We have to teach them lifelong skills of how to... Uh, how to keep themselves healthy and whole uh, as well. Those are just some of the things that we're working on. The test scores are really important, and we believe that over time we'll work to get our kids back. It started with the work that we did this summer. We had 110,000 students engaged in our Summer Rising program, um, and we think that that is going to go a long way toward helping us. We've, in, we've invested significantly in high-dosage tutoring, after-school programs, to continue to give the kids the kinds of support that they will need to catch up. But it won't happen overnight. It's going to take time. So it starts with the beginning, and that beginning is, you know, getting our kids back into the normal routine of being in schools with the people who love them and who are going to teach them, and those are our teachers. And, Chancellor, I know we only have a few minutes left. Another concern uh, beyond just the system has been uh, crime in the city and safety of, of our citizens. And I'm really, I would love for you to let our listeners know a little about the measures you're putting in place to address safety in schools so parents, teachers, students, administrators know that they're in safe environments. Um, there's nothing more important than ensuring the safety of our kids, the physical safety as well as the social, emotional safety. I announced yesterday during our press conference on school safety, uh, the hiring of 200 more school safety officers who, are, who started in our schools today. And I think that's reason uh, to celebrate. Our schools need more safety officers, not less. I was 
many of you listeners may not know, Jeff, I, in fact, was a school safety agent. I started my career as a school safety agent before becoming a teacher and administrator. And so I know personally just how important it is, the role that school safety agents play. Um, they are just as important as the third grade English teacher or the eighth grade math teacher. They're part of the fabric of the school. Over the course of this year, we expect to hire over 850 uh, agents in total for this school year. We'll continue that into next year. Our schools need as much uh, support around safety as they can possibly get. But we also uh, recognize that it's not just about school safety agents. We've increased real-time uh, family communications through this, a push notification system that we just put in place. And that's an app that parents will have on their phones in case there's any emergency that takes place. You may recall when we had the incident at Sunset Park, the parents of the students who were close to that subway station were frantic, not knowing, you know, there's a gunman on the loose, what, what might be happening to their child. We'll be able to communicate with them now in real time. And I think that'll really help to decrease the levels of stress that our parents have. They won't have to wait and find out what's going on on the local news. They'll be able to hear directly from me, the superintendent, or the school principal uh, in real time. We've also taken all of our administrators throughout this summer to enhance safety training for active shooter drills. Really unfortunate that we have to be in this place, but we've watched these incidents all across the nation of mass shootings in our schools, and we're going to do everything we can to protect all of our students and our staff from anything like that happening um, in our schools. And finally, we're also bringing in uh, community-based organizations to serve as mentors, big brothers and big sisters, tutors, and, and providing a level of support as credible messengers. These are people who are right from the communities that our kids are going to school in, and, um, and they're going to work to help to provide, uh, to kind of close the gap with some of the young people who really are in distress, who need additional levels of support. We'll be ready to provide those supports for them. And Chancellor David Banks, uh, I know we only have a moment here. We'd love to keep you longer. But uh, something that came up earlier in the program, uh, talking about, you know, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully this won't have to happen with new boosters being available uh, and so on and and, uh, numbers going down in terms of COVID. But have there been discussions within DOE about the possibility of if there was a new variant or a new surge or something, the possibility of ever going back to remote learning? And, And what would that look like? Or is that just off the table? No, it's, no, it's absolutely not off the table. Um, this, this, this COVID reality uh, was jarring for all of us, but I think the good thing that has emerged from that is our readiness. From a, a tech standpoint, um, our students and our families have the technology that's needed if we needed to shift very quickly. Uh, and I think just as importantly, our teachers um, have, have really gained a, a, a very valuable level of experience and how to teach remotely if it's necessary. We certainly don't want that to be the norm for most of our kids, but we certainly are prepared in case that happens. So we continue to follow the science and the guidelines from the CDC as well as our own New York City Department of Health. Um, and if, if, God forbid, you know, we find ourselves in a situation again where we have to shift, uh, we feel very confident that we'll be ready to do that. And on that note, Chancellor David Banks, I'd like to thank you so much for calling in today to Driving Forces here on WBAI. Thank you so very, very much. I appreciate it. 
You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm Jeff Simmons, co-hosted. Co-hosting the show is the amazing, stellar, beautiful, stunning Celeste Katz-Marston. Not enough adjectives in the dictionary for me to describe her. We are now going to take your calls. We've got the phone lines open. Give us a call, 212-209-2877. Let us know what you, uh, what the, what you thought about what the chancellor said or what Amy Zimmer from Chalkbeat New York said. 212-209-2877. Got about maybe five, six minutes. We can squeeze in a few calls. Curious if you're a parent. What was your experience like today? If you're a student listening to us, what was your experience like today? Yeah, very interested to hear from people. What was it actually like? I, I think, you know, we heard for the most part from Amy Zimmer from Chalkbeat and from the Chancellor uh, that things generally went well. And yeah, the first day of school can always be a little chaotic. People are trying to find their way. People are trying to figure out where they're supposed to be and when and how to get from here to there. But very interested to hear from you. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. What was the first day of school like for for you. What are you concerned about going into this school year? Are you concerned about having lost, uh, you know, having having lost ground during these years of the COVID pandemic? Are you concerned about budget cuts uh, that might impact your school or your job as a teacher? 212-209-2877 is the number to call. I think we're going to go to the calls right now, Jeff. Yeah, let's go. Well, we've got some callers uh, on the line already. Let's take that first call. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and what is on your mind today? Oh, hi, uh, Roger from New Milford. Uh, hi, Roger. Uh, my friends that are teachers are telling me they're going into their own pockets to pay for school supplies, um, which, given the amount of property taxes we pay, is not right. They feel there's an overweight of administrators. And a lot of these outside contracts that are really sucking up the funds that should be going to the teachers and the children. Second point, if I may, on this tuition loan forgiveness, is, is it okay to ask a question about that? Yeah, I mean, sure, you can. I mean, we're talking about okay. uh, public schools. You're talking about um, uh, the federal program for student loan debt? Yes, or? the federal program. Uh, okay. Here's my issue. I worked, I worked two jobs myself through trade school, um, didn't take any loans because my parents taught the value of thrift and responsibility, and that was handed down from my grandparents to them. Now, how is this fair to working people? I have a blue-collar job. I'm in the trades. Guys who went to college and took out loans, and I'm supposed to carry that burden and the, the rest of the working people? It doesn't seem fair to me. No, and, and thank you for your call. We, we do appreciate it. And, and I've definitely heard people talk about this. I don't know, Jeff, I've heard it both ways. I've heard, uh, you know, I had to struggle and scrimp and save <laughs> and pay back the money that I borrowed, that you know, I gave my word that I would pay back this debt. And then there are other people who are out there who are saying, look, I struggled under years and years and years of paying back my debt. And if I did that so other people don't have to do that, if other people don't have to suffer uh, and, and scrimp the way I had to, then so much the better. But I think we have another caller holding. We're going to try to get to his many of you as we can. So if you can keep it brief, WBA, brief, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, this is Sam in Brooklyn. And I worked last year as a teacher in a high school in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. And this is before the budget cuts. And even back then, 
I was in classrooms that were growing throughout the year. I mean, we didn't even have seats, okay, in, in this one classroom at one point. We had kids, immigrant kids, who were just arriving from, from Guatemala, from Honduras, who didn't speak a word of English, and they didn't even have seats in these classrooms. So when we hear that the, the, the budget has been cut, despite the fact that there's a whole chunk of, of federal stimulus funds just sitting there, and, 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 a, and a chancellor who actually, he went to bat for the mayor on the budget cuts. He was, he was at the court case uh, lamenting what would happen if, if the budget cuts didn't go through. So I'm just curious. You know, I appreciate your show and, and, and the work you do as journalists, but I was just curious why you didn't ask David Banks while you had him on anything about his position on the budget cuts. It was, uh, I swear it was on my list of questions. It's just, I knew we were out of time. We only had him for about 15 minutes. We, we tried to address it a bit with Amy Zimmer a little earlier. Um, but yeah, it was on my mind. So I'm sorry I wasn't able to get to that question today. Okay. Well, thank you. No problem. We have one more call. I think we're going to take a final call because then we're going to have to wrap up quickly. Welcome to WBAI. You were on the air. What is your name and what's on your mind? We've got about a minute left. Yeah. My name is Hammer. Uh, I'm from Queens and um, what I, I, I think the, the pandemic, um, how it's handled, is why um, the schools don't have no money. It's, a, it's incredible that they don't have no money. They, they um, made the kids stay home for two years. Where did all that money go while they were staying home? I mean, they were staying home. They didn't have to um, operate no, no buildings. They did it um, from home. Where did all that money go? I mean, they shut down everything. And if they shut down it, and no, no, they didn't shut down everything. They shut down the things they wanted. Okay, because the electric company wasn't shut down. You still had to pay bills. Okay, if they, yeah. to me, if they're going to shut down anything, they should shut down everything then. But that's impossible. But the thing being, if you, if you have something that keeps going, like Costco and everything, whatever, you're still going to be contaminated because, because they saying that is essential. You're not going to catch the coronavirus? That makes no sense. So the shutdown really hurt, and, and they should have spent money for school. So what happened to all that money they saved from when they were home for two years? So well, that's a, look, that's, it's a fair question, and thank you for your call. It's a fair question to ask about how that money was spent. There were certainly costs associated with uh, still operating schools under a pandemic. I mean, you don't sort of just, you know, turn out the lights and walk away. These are still buildings that need to be uh, maintained. Uh, there were a lot of technology costs that were associated with getting kids into remote learning. Um, you know, there there are still teachers, administrators, um, and uh, uh janitorial engineering people who have to be paid lots and lots of costs associated with I'm not making an apology for the school, the school system by any means, but uh, I don't think that just having kids learn from home sort of makes all those uh, costs disappear. Jeff, I know we are running out of time. I want to thank today's guests, uh, Chalkbeat New York Bureau Chief Amy Zimmer, and of course, New York City Schools Chancellor David Banks. I want to thank our engineer, Reggie Johnson, and to thank you, our listeners and our callers. Jeff, what is up on City Watch this week? This coming Sunday, 10 in the morning, City Watch is on. It is September 11th, if you can believe it, the 21st anniversary of the attacks on the World Trade Center. David Brand will be hosting City Watch. He's got two great guests. Faiza Patel, Senior Director of the Brennan Center for Justice's Liberty and National Security Program, to discuss the impact of 9-11 on surveillance and national security. And then Richard Weisel 
who has an exhibition at the New York City Fire Museum portraying family members who lost loved ones who worked for the fire department on September 11th. Now, mark your calendars for next week, 5 p.m., Driving Forces, here next Thursday. Celeste and I will be back with you with a good friend of ours, Andrew Kurtzman, you may remember him from New York One. He covered Rudy Giuliani for years. Well, we've got an advanced copy of his book. It comes out that week. We are going through this book. It's called Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor. We're going to talk with him about it and then open up the phone line so you could weigh in on what you think about Rudy Giuliani. So for now, stay tuned for Democracy Now! coming up next and have a great day. <laughs> 